Have you ever seen something and you just know that it breaks Jesus' heart? Last year, just before Easter, Emily and I went to a Maundy Thursday service at Wesley Chapel United Methodist Church over on Racetrack Road. And if you're not familiar with Maundy Thursday, it is the Thursday before Easter when churches all around the world remember that night in the upper room when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And if you're not familiar with Wesley Chapel United Methodist Church, it is a historically African-American church that started in 1867, just after the Emancipation Proclamation. And for most of its history, it's been in and around downtown McDonough. And so that night, Emily and I went to the Maundy Thursday service. We ate a meal together with the people of that church. We, we sang, we worshiped, and then at the end of the service, the leaders of their church washed our feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever had your feet washed by somebody, but it's, it's very humbling, especially if your feet are like mine. I mean, it's kind of awkward. It's very humbling. You're receiving that. And so we had our feet washed. And then afterwards, the pastor, Reverend Burt Neal, he, he took us on a tour of the church because being a pastor, I love going on tours of other churches and like looking at their bulletins and offering envelopes. And I'm just weird like that. So I was gathering all this stuff, getting a tour. And he was taking us around because they have a pretty new sanctuary. He was showing us everything they have, and, you know, their sound system. And then he showed us some windows that had been moved from their previous church to the current church. And then he pointed out this stained glass window to us, which as you can see says that it was donated by the white citizens of McDonough. And when I saw this, I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand. I didn't, I didn't know how to, how to take it. But he went on to explain that during the Jim Crow era in the 1920s, um, white Christians from around McDonough had pulled together money and purchased this window for them and for their facility. And while I'm sure that for the people who were donating money for this window, that, that their intentions were, were probably good, for the people of Wesley Chapel, it was a reminder that a group of Christians in their town wanted them in their church and they wanted to be in their own church. African-American Christians over here and white Christians over here. And I know that broke Jesus' heart. A few years ago, I was in an outreach team meeting at a church I was serving and we were talking about how to use our limited funds for good in the community, and as we were talking about that, a debate began to ensue, voices began to rise, people began to get angry, one man began shouting at another woman, tears began to flow, and then quickly, in our church, our, our missions and outreach beyond ourselves actually began to slow down after that incident. And I know that broke Jesus' heart. And if you talk really with anybody and hear their story who has walked away from the church or never taken a step inside of a church, one of the common things you will hear in their story is that it's because of how Christians treat one another. And I know that breaks Jesus' heart. 
And I know that breaks Jesus' heart, not just because I, I feel like it breaks Jesus' heart, but because when Jesus was in that upper room in John chapter 13, he said this to his disciples. He said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then after he talked to them, in the upper room about being one with him like we talked about last week. After he washed their feet, Jesus prayed the final prayer that we have recorded in the Gospel of John, the final prayer recorded before he laid down his life for us on the cross. And in John, we read this. As Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed to his heavenly Father, he said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in one in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. This morning, I want you to notice what Jesus is praying for here. He's praying that his disciples might be one. Jesus is praying that his disciples might be one just as he and the Father are one. And so Jesus Christ and God his Father, they exist as distinct people, as distinct persons of the Trinity. And yet they have an unbreakable Unity And here Jesus is saying, look, I know that all of you have your own distinct personalities, backgrounds, and stories, but I want you to live in an unbreakable unity as well. I want you to be one just as you and I are one. And if you think about it, Jesus in his final moments, he could have prayed for anything in the world. He could have prayed for anything. And this was his prayer, that we might be one. That's what he was praying for. But I want you to notice who he was praying for. I mean, if you look at it, he, he says this, he's praying not only for his disciples who are right in front of him, but he's also praying for all those who will ever hear about him through their message and through their ministry. And so Jesus literally on that night 2,000 years ago prayed for you and for me. He prayed for us, and for my search this week in the Gospels, this is the only time where I can find Jesus actually prayed for you and for me, his future followers of himself, his future disciples. He prayed for us, and he prayed that we might be one. And I want you to notice why he prayed that prayer. If you look at verse 21, it, he prayed it so that the world will believe in him. He prays in verse 23 that we might experience such perfect unity that the world might believe in him and come to know his love in their hearts. Jesus, in his final moments, prayed that we might be one with each other so that others might become one with him.
That's his final prayer. And I want you to notice how huge this prayer that Jesus prays for. This prayer that we all might be one is huge because he's actually praying that we might make the invisible visible because you and I, when we place our faith in Christ, when we trust in Christ for salvation, which we talked about last week, when we believe in him, we are all united spiritually in him. We're all united as one. When we're baptized, we die to our old selves. We're raised to new life in Christ. We become one with him. And in this spiritual, mysterious way, invisibly, we all become one with each other. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, Now there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Jesus here is praying that this invisible spiritual unity that we have through him, that we might make it visible here on earth. And what Paul is saying is that, yes, even though we all have our own backgrounds and our own identities, those old identities, once we're in Christ, fade to the background. And young and old are united as one in Christ Jesus. Rich and poor are united as one in Christ Jesus. People from all different cultures and races are united as one in Christ Jesus. People from all different political spectrums and political parties are united as one in Christ Jesus. He's praying that we might make this invisible spiritual union that we have a tangible reality here on earth. And he wants this for us so that other people might become his disciples. And now you might be wondering why that's so important for other people to become his disciples. I mean, after all, people can just come hear a good sermon. People can listen to great worship music. We can evangelize one-on-one. And, you know, we might feel like that's enough. But I want to illustrate for you why it's so important for us to be one with each other if we want others to become one with Jesus Christ. And so to illustrate this, I need your, your participation. So are y'all willing to participate? Okay. It also involves singing. Are y'all willing to sing? Okay. So th- we're going to split it down here in the middle. So this side of the room, y'all give a shout out to each other. Say hello. Okay. I want y'all, let's, let's get the lyrics up here. Y'all are going to sing Jesus Loves Me in just a minute, okay? I don't know if you know that song, but we got the lyrics for you. This side of the room, y'all say hey to each other. Okay. Y'all are going to be singing Away in a Manger. Do y'all know that one, Christmas song? Okay. All right. So on the count of three, I want us to all sing together. This side, Jesus loves me. This side, Away in a Manger. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible. This sweet head, the little. Okay, okay, y'all can stop. This is, okay. I don't know what was going on over here, honestly. I don't know what was going on over here. I mean, how did that sound? Sounded terrible. It sounded terrible. I mean, I'll just be honest with you, right? It sounded terrible. Here we have faithful Christians on two different sides of the room singing together at once and it sounded terrible right okay but now i don't think it's because you have bad voices i don't think that so i want us to all sing in unison now i want you to sing this old old chorus from this one okay let's let's sing this together sing harmony if you know it 
You know, that sounded pretty good, actually, didn't it? It sounded, it sounded pretty good. The difference in singing those two different times, one time everybody was just singing their, their own thing all at once, divided, not together. The second time, it was a little more beautiful. There wasn't dissonance. Instead, you were singing together as one, one song with one voice. And it was nice and it was attractive. But here's the thing. When we're divided as Christians, and when we're all trying to do our own thing and work independently of each other, it sounds terrible. And when the world sees us and hears us, they're like, what is this garbage? I need to turn it off. I don't want this. There's enough noise and chaos in the world. I don't need more of it in my life. And you and I can probably name people in our lives that we know who have walked away from the church, this church and other churches, because of how they were treated by other Christians. But on the flip side, it's also true. You and I, when we're united together, when we're living as one with each other, when we're going after the same thing, moving in the same direction, when we're singing with that one voice, it's actually beautiful. And it's attractive. In a world of noise and of chaos, it's kind of refreshing. And it draws people in. And you and I, we know people who have been drawn to the church and to the community, the body of Christ, because they saw the relationships there and they said, I want what they have. I want that in my life. I want that kind of connection, those kinds of relationships. And they were drawn to Christ through the community. And I know this is true for people in this room because I, I lead new connections on a regular basis. We have one coming up. This is where... If you're new to the church or you've been around a while, we gather together, we learn more about the church, its past, its future, our life together, what it means to be a member. And one of the questions I always ask is, how did you find out about Harvest Point? And another question I ask is, what do you love about Harvest Point? And most people in New Connections give the same answer. They say, you know what, I went to 37 other churches and Harvest Point was last on my list. And in all those other churches, you know, people were kind of cold and it's like they liked each other, but it was just like, you know what, it wasn't doing it for me. And then I came here. I came here and people didn't just like each other. People loved each other. And there was a warmness in the spirit. And, and, and people will even be honest, and I love it when people are honest and say, you know what, and honestly, I don't like the location, I don't like this, I don't like that, but I love the people and the relationships in the body of Christ here in this place, and that drew me to Harvest Point. Us being one with each other has made a difference in many of your lives, and it makes a difference in the lives of other people around us as they're drawn to Christ through our witness together. And I came across a quote recently that I think helps illustrate why this is true. And the quote is this. Our relationships with each other reveal the God we really believe in. Our relationships with each other reveal the God we really believe in. 
And so if you believe in a God who is angry, who is always out to get people, and who is always just trying to make people's lives miserable, then guess what? You probably act like that in the relationships in your life. If you believe in a God who, who doesn't forgive you or doesn't forgive you easily, then you probably have a hard time forgiving other people in your own life. If you treat other people and you make them earn your love and you want them to be perfect before they get your acceptance and, and people struggle to get your approval, then guess what? You probably worship a God where you feel like you have to earn his approval and you have to earn his acceptance. But if you worship a God and believe in a God who forgives you 70 times 7 when you ask, then you probably forgive people in your own life. If you believe in a God whose grace through Jesus Christ accepts us, forgives us and transforms us and loves us despite our sin and our past, then you probably love other people in your life as well in that same way. If you have received the grace, the mercy, the good news of the gospel deep in your heart, then it will overflow into the relationships around you. What you believe about God affects your relationships with other people. And this is why Paul and other writers in the New Testament, over and over again, they were encouraging people in their life with each other, to be one with each other. And time and time again, they gave them different commandments in their letters about how to be one with each other. And basically what Paul and these other writers were saying, they were saying, look, you're one in Jesus Christ spiritually, now act like it in the flesh. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you, now you lay down your life for other people. Jesus Christ forgave you, now you forgive other people. Jesus Christ served you, now you go and serve other people. And we see these commandments over and over again throughout the New Testament, and they're called the one another's of the Bible. And if you Google one another's of the Bible, it's a weird phrase, but you will come up with a list of all of the one another's that we see throughout Scripture. And there are about a hundred of them in the New Testament. There are about a hundred of them, but I want to just read out to you 15 of them this morning that help illustrate the types of relationships that God wants us to have with each other as we seek to become one, as we seek to make our invisible spiritual unity visible here on the earth. And so here are some of them. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. I want to pause right there, actually, and tell a story about our students. Yesterday, our, our students gathered together for a day of fun during the break, and they went and they actually served other people in our church. And the young people in our church actually went to Westbury a Rehabilitation Center and saw one of our oldest members, Jenny McCullough, as she's recovering there. And they went and they gave her a gift to encourage her and to serve her. That's what the body of Christ is like, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, speaking truth, even when it's hard to one another, encouraging and building up one another, praying for one another, be hospitable to one another. And then here, I think they can all be summed up in this one, which Jesus said, Paul said, all these New Testament authors were saying, love 
one another. Love one another. That is the royal law that sums all of these up. And we find in the church's history that when people received the grace of Jesus Christ into their lives, it began to transform them from the inside out and it began to overflow and transform their relationships around them. So I want to read with you a passage from Acts chapter 2, just after Jesus ascended into heaven, about the life of the church together in those early days. And actually, we don't have this on the screen because I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to picture this community in your mind as I read out these words from Acts chapter 2. The early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You can open your eyes. Isn't that what you want? I mean, that's what I want. I want us to be a community like this where daily people are coming to know Christ and are being saved. But one of the things you see as you keep reading in Acts right after this passage is that community like this isn't easy and it's not always pretty, that life together can be difficult. And soon after this in Acts, we find people lying. We find people doing things against God's will with their money. We, we find at different places faithful Christians having to go different ways for different purposes in ministry. We find that their life together was actually hard. And this is true. If you've been part of the body of Christ for any length of time, you know that community and relationships with one another are messy and are difficult. And if you've been a part of our church for years, you've probably been hurt by people in the body of Christ. Our denomination right now, the United Methodist Church, is meeting today through Tuesday, and they're they're trying to wrestle and figure out together what does it mean to be one? How do we love each other in the midst of differences? How do we speak truth to one another? How do we be faithful to God's word in our relationships to one another? And it is difficult. And I have witnessed, I have witnessed countless people Countless people walk away from the body of Christ because of how they were treated by other Christians. And that breaks Jesus' heart. Community and life together is difficult. Living out this ideal that Jesus gives us to be one is difficult. It's hard. It's messy. But I'll tell you this, it's worth it. It's worth it because our oneness is our witness. And when we are one with each other, we point to a chaotic world that there can actually be peace. 
we point in an unforgiving world to the reality that there can be forgiveness in relationships here and now. We point to a world which is so divided that there can actually be unity on this earth and we point people to that future day. To that future day in eternity when there will be people, the book of Revelation says, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, praising God around his throne forever and ever as one. We point people to Jesus who laid down his life for us so that we might know him, so that we might be one with him, so that we might be one with each other in eternity, worshiping him forever, and so that we might be one with each other here and now. And I'll close with this. I'll never forget the first time that I went out of the country and I flew on an airplane. I was a rising ninth grader, got my passport, I got a new piece of luggage and I got one of those awkward money wallets that you wear inside the waist of your pants. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't understand them still. You know, it's like at the restaurant, you're pulling out your money from, it's weird. So I got one of those. I was with a group of people from my home church and we were going on the first mission trip that I had ever been on. And it was a mission trip to England. And now people, they they used to laugh and say, oh, you're going on a mission trip to England. It's like, yeah, we were. And there we were going to a place about an hour north of London called Harpenden and we were staying on a missionary base there where people from all over the world were gathered together and people were learning English, people were learning other languages so that they could go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. There were people there in discipleship training schools. There were people there who were full-time missionaries to a secularized population in Great Britain. And we were there doing some ministry and outreach in the community and doing some construction, rehabilitating an old building so that it could be used for training purposes. And so one night, uh, after a long day of work of construction, they had chapel where they invited everybody who was on the grounds to come and to worship together. And so we gathered together and we sang, uh, we laughed, we heard a great message. And then at the end, the speaker said, now the final thing I want you to do is to pray together. And I want you to all pray out loud at once in your native language. Now, I had never seen anything like this. I, I, was, I didn't know how that was going to work. It's like, am I going to pray out loud? Like, are other people going to hear me? Is that going to be weird? Are they going to be listening to my prayer? You know, I thought prayer was between me and God. And, and, but then all of a sudden, the volume in the, the room began to rise. And there were people speaking French that I, I could hear French over here. And then there was people speaking Spanish. And then there were some women from Africa. They were, they were speaking very loud, and it sounded like clicks at the top of their lungs. And there were young people like myself. There were old people. There were people lying prostrate on the ground. There were people standing up. There were people kneeling down. There were people with their heads lifted towards heaven. There were all of these different people praying aloud to Jesus Christ. And that night, in that place, in that moment, I got to see a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like and what eternity will be like. And it was beautiful. And it was life-changing for me. And my hope and my prayer is that our life together 
our relationships, when people look at us, that they would say, that is beautiful. And that it would be life-changing for them as well. And so let's pray and ask God to make it so.